Whether you're dealing with does in heat and bucks in rut, the winter blues, the marathon of kidding season in the spring, or show season in the summer, Nate Funk and John Kane of Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast, are with you every step of the way, bringing you interviews from various breeders, judges, and others from all over the country. We're always covering the latest ad good news and covering topics to help make us all better dairy goat breeders. What's up, everyone, and welcome to Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. I'm John, and this week I'm joined by Danielle Caroli. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you for having me. Uh, before we start, did you get my information from the lawyers about billing and where I want my name to be and everything like that? Oh, I, I thought that that was all settled with uh, hoodies and t-shirts. Oh, no, 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 no. That was just for, um, you know, coming in for... You know, that's round two. Now that I'm here again, I need a little bit more. As you could see in the email from my lawyers, I think you got it. it you know, it's it's just about, you know, billing whose name goes first. All, oh, yeah. All that, that fun stuff. That goes straight to Nate, who unfortunately isn't here because he uh, had a procedure done. So uh, I'm sure I'll, you know, just touch base with him and make sure he checks his junk folder. I don't think it would have gone to junk, but I will give you to a pass for this one just because I do know, you know, Nate is a little bit indisposed right now. So I will give you a pass for this one. I'll just have to make sure the next time I come on that all straightened out. Yeah, we'll ma I'll make sure that I put it on, uh, on the old tab there. So Perfect. maybe the next uh, payment will be uh, a coffee mug or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as there's a contract, it'll be fine. Ah, okay. <laughs> so how's it going on your farm? It is going well. We had, well, I should apologize to all of the people on my farm, but it, it we had our first doe in an actual heat today um we are not breeding her for another cycle or two but unlike a lot of people in this area my does have been silently cycling and i haven't really been able to catch them yet and today we had one who was gazing longingly down at my box and <laughs> was you know a vocal a few times and then she went to go eat her hay so it wasn't too bad but just enough for me to know that hey i'm in heat if you want to breed me it is an ample you have ample opportunity right now to do it so that actually made me feel good because i was starting to get a little nervous as i hadn't yeah. seen anybody in a strong standing heat and when we ran into that last year we just had a fun breeding season, but yeah, you did. <laughs> I, yeah, we just kept, it was going and going and going. So I think my barn probably, my working theory is my barn stays a little warmer than most, um, particularly on these days where we're getting, you know, we're still in the seventies or so. And so even though we've been getting this cool, cool evening air that tends to put everybody into heat, mm -hmm. um, because they sleep in the barn, they're still not quite there as far as, or, you know, they're a little bit behind just because to them, it's still summertime. So I'm thinking that's what it is, or at least hoping that's what it is. And 
I just have to not be so impatient and it would be fine. <laughs> but well, that's what's well, going on here. What's going saw, on with yours? Well, when oh. I saw when I saw that post that you made for your farm page about the first heat cycle, I'm like, man, my does all came into heat in at, at county fair in August, every single last one of them. And they've just been cycling right along ever since. We actually have uh, Mary Mac in heat today, and I'm actually going to breed her. Oh, I wow. I wasn't going to, but I'm, I decided, you know, what's for nationals? I think a February kid should be good, hopefully. And, you know, we'll see how it turns out. It'll be our first. It will be our earliest breeding ever on the farm. Uh, we well, usually... it'll put you right around February 20th, maybe? 20th, so yep. That's not not too bad. We've done well, that it'll, before. It'll be like the 15th of February because we induce. Oh, um, right, right, right. With the but, Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it'll be our earliest uh, born kid. So I'm excited to, if you know, I get my butt down to the buck pen when it stops raining and drag Vasquez up. Um, it'll be our earliest born I'm, I'm excited to see how a kid that early will grow for us since we have always had march or later um but yeah uh everything else on the farm has been pretty quiet just kind of maintaining um we kind of did a little bit of maintenance on the bucks uh getting ready for collection in october uh so you know just making sure they're up to snuff and looking pretty uh but yeah that's Really it? I mean, it's the time of year where our does are dry now. We haven't milked in, I haven't milked in two weeks. Um, besides letting a little off of Jem because she's such a heavy producer. Oh my goodness. Uh, I feel bad because she, she walks by the milking area and when she's just that full, she's, it's like kind of like a hard to walk full, you know, like if somebody over utters their dough at a, a show and it just looks painful. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm like, all right, I'm going to let a little off you because you are looking pathetic right now. I know some people just kind of uh, just quit and they're like, you know, you'll suffer for a couple of days. But with her, you know, I got to baby that old gal a little bit. That's um, understandable. <laughs> I, I tend to be the I tend to do the OK, once you're done, you're done. And I'll check their udders and make sure they're not hot or anything. But right. I do find a day or two of discomfort makes them dry up a little bit faster too, because those, the stimuli is not there to say, mm-hmm. Oh wait, you should produce milk. And so our first year think. drying off does, I was at a loss because I had the three senior does that we had brought in. Well, they were five years old then uh, when we brought them in and they were milking and <clears throat> we're like, okay, we're going to dry them off. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, just cut down to once a day milking. So I did that. And then they're like, and then do every other day. And then it'll, you know, just kind of peter off. And it was like six, seven weeks of trying to dry these heavy producing does off. And yeah. <laughs> after that, everybody's like, no, I just, just like, you can go to once a day and then just quit. And they'll be that's, all right. That's basically <laughs> what I do. I go to once a day. And it depends on how fast I want to dry off and how much they're milking too. I go to once a day, I cut grain, and then I just stop and just keep an eye on them. Because otherwise, I think you start messing with, personally, I think you start kind of messing with that supply and demand, and they still think they need to milk a little bit. So 
Yep. I find the best thing is to cut down the nutrients that they're getting um, and maybe switch haze if you're going to like a first cut, which is what we feed anyway when they're dry and just do things like that and then stop milking them and just monitor and we dry treat too. So that last milking will dry treat and then just throw them in the pen and they'll be good. So good luck, everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Their biggest issue is the fact that you know, they're cut off from the grain is what it is. They could care less at this point about milk. They're, they're milking well, but at that point they're like, okay. But the fact that their routine of grain is disrupted, that is more torturous for those things than the fact that, um, they're not getting milked. Yeah. I mean, I used to cut the grain just completely and just give them like a scoop in the morning, uh, like a one scoop for five doughs. Um, but now I've cut down the protein when I do that and up the fat because my doughs by the end of August, they're looking pretty shown out, right? They're wore down a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so I just add that fat, usually a senior horse feed and get them up to snuff. And then by the time I get go to breed them, they're like physically ready, you know? That makes sense. Yeah. That, I that's have, what I do. I have the opposite problem in my herd. I'm looking at some <laughs> of these girls and they're I just, I know that there is going to, that they need to probably drop a few pounds to have a healthy breeding season, but not quite sure where we're going to pull. We'll probably cut down grain a little bit, but they're milk. They're all, the problem is they're all milking really well this year mm -hmm. and I want to keep them milking. So I'm scared if I start playing with grain and cutting that down, that's going to be production at least at this point, but we still have, we're in, only in September. So we still have a few, few months to go anyway with milking. And this year we're not breeding until November for our, the does we're keeping. So I have a few months to get them in shape for this. Now, do you do a later breeding because of nationals or is that just something you want to do this year? <laughs> no. So this year we're breeding late because I have a scheduled trip. Um, the beginning of April, I have a wedding to go to in Puerto oh. Rico. So I am just making it easy on whoever is going to be back home and making sure that I have nobody in milk and no kids to feed while I'm away. And so this way I can so much easier. truly enjoy my um, vacation. So that's why typically we wouldn't. And it does mean that most likely I won't be bringing any kids to nationals because um, between that and a few other things on the schedule, they're going to be April, maybe early May kids. And I just don't know if I will be bringing kids that young to nationals, but um, yeah. I've done it in the past and have had success with it, but I also ha will have three dry yearlings I could bring. And so mm, yeah, it just so you probably depends on what everybody looks like but I'm I this that was more of the life outside of goats decision versus <laughs> influencing with Nash you know with Nash's yeah. mind or anything like that well I feel like even if you're shooting for April May early May kiddings they should be bounced back pretty well by uh, nationals in late June 
Oh yeah. No, I, it's, I, the does are not what I'm worried about. It's more the kids and not necessarily mm-hmm. kid sizes, but <laughs> I don't like particularly like showing kids when they're only two, three months old. They just, they don't have the attention span that makes it fun in the ring and then add that to a national show setting and, as a handler trying to show off my does to the best of their advantage, you know, those things kind of get factored in. So even on a normal schedule without nationals, I rarely take my kids out until mm-hmm. um, usually the progressive show in July is the f- their first appearance in the ring because I'll just bring the yearlings and the senior does out for the o- earlier shows and then start bringing the kids out when they're slightly bigger so but that's just my personal preference well i should introduce you to my lord and savior Oberhasley. Uh they're quite nice in the ring as a uh as juniors i mean ultimate show that's usually what's that may or first week of may second week of may mother's day weekend in may usually or maybe no no the weekend after mother's day the right Tuesday, the third weekend so we we drag our kids out there and usually unclipped because they're still pretty tiny. Oh God, yeah. And uh, the first ring's usually kind of crappy, where you're just dragging them around. But by the second ring, they're they're pros. So I mean, I'll introduce you to to this breed if you want, and uh, you know, I'll I'll make sure I send my breeding schedule over. Uh, it'll fit exactly with our topic today, which is I have reservations. Uh, so I maybe we can say, we can hook you up with transition one. Transition there. <laughs> well, we we got. Transition. <laughs> I do what I can, uh, but I do have some ad news to get through before we get to the fun part. Okay. Um, so it's really you know it, it's it's a quiet time for ad Everybody's getting ready for a convention and um, hopefully uh, breeding some goats. So it's pretty quiet. You know, everybody's happy, uh, but. There are still some frustrations um, with the NG system at ADGA. Um, so frustrations are still high in the membership, which includes me, to be honest. Um, oh, me, t- me too. I have a registration <laughs> that we're, we're, we've made progress on, but we're still working on it. Yeah, I mean, the thing that kind of upsets me is that they're still in March registrations. And I know that's like when the big boom happens, right? Mm-hmm. With uh, registrations coming in for them, but... They're still in March. Uh, people are still having issues with their accounts um, as far as balances, um, them taking balance from an old youth account that this person had and instead of the grown-up account that they have now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they're not processing linear appraisal scores or ROAs from shows still, which I understand. Uh, we all understand that there's a ton of registrations that they have to get through and transfers um stamp duplicates for currencies and all that stuff um but at one what point is it like when is it going to be okay to like move forward i mean we can't even gene can't even update add good genetics because you can't trust the the registrations yet from the system that says something i mean i've been seeing posts all week people planning out these breedings and um they don't have that access to add good genetics for these kids that they plan on breeding uh, this fall. And so they're kind of just um, shooting, shooting from the hip, which I do anyway. I'm not pouring over it maybe because 
my herd isn't as closely related for line breeding. I have two bucks that are, are completely outcrosses, but I mean, some people really highly depend on this stuff. So it's, I just, I can't help but get frustrated. I know on Facebook, I probably look very negative all the time by questioning things that are going on. Um, but I just, I mean, when's when is enough enough, you know? No, I know. I will say I haven't called them recently, but you now can get in within a few minutes of a call. And I have spoken to somebody a few times and whenever I spoke to them, they were very helpful um, and actually were able to get my issue up to the developers because my issue is not a simple um a simple fix i guess i could kind of say that you know i have a i have a registration lost in the space in agda space in the, the cloud somewhere. somewhere it's there but it doesn't have a registration number attached to it yet and in order to to get that animal registered, the developers need to go in and somehow fix a bug or something. Um, really? They can't just have... like delete it and then like create a new registration? I, I don't know how that is above my coding capabilities. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I don't we know must call Jessica Miller. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure there's probably and fix. And I do know that through the process of this all, I have seen certain implementations in different stages that I'm sure when this is all completely, when this, that registration system is completely finalized, these steps have been taken so that these situations will not occur. But, um, I just don't think they're there yet with the software development to allow this animal to be registered completely. So we have a stamp duplicate, which is the start, and it's made um, several people very happy that they have a stamp duplicate because beforehand they had nothing on this animal. Um, Mm, But it will get there eventually, but baby steps. So. I mean, it's okay to be patient yet frustrated at the same time, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know? No, and I think, that's, I think that's kind of where I am, that I understand that there's nothing at this point that I can do, and that's what, where everybody is, at least in this situation. And But there's a lot of people who are just happy that some progress has been made. So Right. Um so moving on, uh, you know, st- sticking with frustration, uh, there was a few, well, I guess it was one big trip out, out in the Midwest, a uh, linear appraisal trip that was canceled uh, this week. Um, so I, I've seen some crabbing and all that stuff on Facebook. I'm everywhere on Facebook. And uh, <laughs> we, we need to remember that these appraisers are people, right? They're just like me mm-hmm. and you. And things in their lives can cause issues with scheduling for linear appraisal trips. And this year has been quite the toss up and really just, it's kind of like a flip of the coin if people are getting appraised. And that's just because, first of all, you and I had this conversation last night, Daniel, Mm -hmm. that there were how many animals signed up for appraisal this year? 
I feel like I saw like 28,000 or something that just bath whatever the number was, it baffled my mind. Yeah. And there's eight appraisers, nine appraisers. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, do you, it's just not feasible. Um, so just remember that, you know, these appraisers are hard, hardworking people when they can get out on the field and, um, you know, personally, I thank them for going out. Even like I've said in the last few episodes, even if I haven't been appraised, which I was one of the lucky ones that did get appraised, mm-hmm. uh, but if I didn't, I, I'd still have the same stance, honestly, because I don't rely on that number so heavily. Um, yes, it's a great tool and I learned so much, but at the same time, like I have, I have eyes too. So, so I can, I can steer the ship. Um, but just know that, you know, it's going to be probably a lot fewer trips that are herds that we're seeing this year than, uh, ever before. And it's just, it's just that way this year. Um, hopefully next year, uh, we can have a few more appraisers on board. Uh, maybe some that weren't working this year work next year. Um, and you know, we'll move on from that. Uh, I don't want to really harp on that too much. So moving on, um, convention is nearing. Uh, It's in November this year in Arizona. So those thinking about buying a spotlight sale animal, uh, save those dollars and come up with a plan to get them home. Um, I did see on the ADCA website that uh, a lot of the animals are missing, like the supporting animals. But you can obviously go to those herds Facebook pages or websites and look them up yourself and uh, you can make an informed decision. Um, but yeah, like spotlight sales, one of the huge highlights of conventions. So if you're planning on buying an animal, start planning. Start planning and be prepared to see a lot of glitter. So. <laughs> I don't know if we'll see as much glitter as we saw in 2019. Probably not, but a lot of those spotlight sale animals do, um, you know, walk down the runway or whatever, the platform, and they are glittered. Maybe not in such, um, (laughs) I'm trying to think of what the word is. Uh, Decadence? What? Sorry. In such decadence like Leah Cadio was? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Glitter really, you know with that one really showed where, you know, his importance lo- or a lot, was, <laughs> yeah. you know, where the important part of him was. That's for sure. There was, there was no missing that. Um, yeah. I, exactly. I still love that. I, I, I go back and watch that every once in a while and just sit there and laugh. It was a good time. I um, think that was great. And I mean, even throughout the whole process, that marketing of that animal when he was announced and leading up to it was just so great to follow. And then to see his success later on and now to be lucky enough to see offspring close by, just, you know, with how it all worked out is real. Well, and also to have judged him um, yeah. was yeah. really, is really cool to kind of see, but you know, we all with Brandy's marketing, we all kind of started following him, even though, you know, I had no intentions of bidding on him or, you know, have no intentions of adding an Oprah Hosley. It was just fun to see how that all played out. We'll get you there. We'll get you there. Don't worry. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I have my experimental. I am good. I don't well, need another breed. You could totally use an Oberhasley book and create more experimentals. It's fun. Uh, I could do that, but uh, not this year. We have um, plans for her. Maybe next year. We'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So speaking of Leocadio and uh, other bucks that people market all the time, um, let's move on to the topic. I have reservations. So <laughs> now do you do or and so first questions first. So obviously oh. we're talking about seeing everybody's breeding plans and trying to figure out where you're going to go. Now, do you are you one of those superstitious people who won't mention that you have a reservation out on an animal until it's born and keep it secret? Just in case, so this way, you know, if you want a buck, they'll definitely have does or vice versa. Or are you happy to talk about it? Are you superstitious in this way? I, I'm not superstitious uh, as much as maybe it would be more I'm competitive and don't want people, I don't want to show my hand. Um, that would probably be best put for me. Uh, first of all, I don't have any reservations for this year. I'm going to get that out there. <laughs> you're in your don't worry yeah uh two years from now yes i have a, i have a reservation in for a buck kid in two years and uh, we're currently looking over guernsey bucks across the country to see which we're going to add uh when the time is needed mm-hmm. um, but uh for this year absolutely none thank goodness uh <laughs> what about you are you superstitious and so i am it's the same thing i do with ai's i don't have any reservations out currently i will admit that um i am looking because i do need to add a new herd sire to my barn just to bring in a little bit um bring in some extra genetics but I, uh, it's the same superstition I have with AI. You don't say anything until 21 days with that AI, or not even 21 days until you get the blood drawn on that AI. And then with, you don't say anything until that kid is in, in transit and arrived at your farm. So (laughs) that's, but that's just my superstition. I know we have a friend who has had reservations on several animals and the breeder always loves it because if they want a doe, if the person who is placing the reservation um, wants a doe, that animal tends to throw bucks. And if they want a buck, it tends to throw does. So there's a few times where they're say, they'll say to them, hey, you want to place a reservation for this on this animal? Not to actually end up with the with a offspring, but I need a doe. And so if you place a buck <laughs> reservation, most likely a doe will be born. So, you know. <laughs> I know a couple people that might have a few too many reservations in for next year that are probably hoping that that happens to them. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> and that's the thing. How many is too, you know, when you need a, when you need a few herd sires, how many, you know, yeah, yeah, it gets, it gets a little tricky to make sure that something is there. You're really dealing with a little bit of luck there. So yeah, for sure. And honestly, with the reservations that you're putting in, is it something that your herd needs or is this just a impulse buy or impulse reservation, I guess, uh, because you like the animal? I mean, I could put in reservations five or six on five or six different animals and be happy with them. 
but would it help my program? Probably not. Uh, it'll probably just throw rocks in the tires, you know, um, the way it, it works out. So I don't know if it if it's smart for someone to put in a ton of reservations and get those. I think it really depends on your herd size and also where you're going and where you want to go and what direction you want to go. But mm-hmm. I do personally kind of go more towards kind of what you said. I am going to put in probably a reservation, maybe two if I wanted to get two bucks just so that this way I could house them together. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, with my herd size being as tiny as it is, I don't need that many animals and reservations out there because I have realized, especially as I start to look in um, my tanks, for example, which just kind of goes to show me (laughs) what, and yes, I said tanks, plural. And as I admitted to somebody else, I'm probably looking for a third. Um, But you start to get these, you start to get these genetics. And in this case, they're in the tank, but you use a little bit here and you go, oh, I want this and I need to bring in this. But then three years from then, you look at this and you go, oh, this didn't quite work out. And so now I have semen in my tank that three years ago was going to be perfect for my plans. But plans change and things change and these lines don't necessarily cross the same way. Or the idea of line breeding on this specific animal the options are limited because his son that I was going to use didn't really pan out enough so that Mm -hmm. I have offspring to lime breed on or what have you. So I think it's just looking at least for me and where I am at with my breeding program, it's looking for that immediate use and realize recognizing that with my herd number, having two bucks is probably more than I need you know two bucks in ai is probably more than i need adding two more into the mix just gets a lot of bucks that are just getting used not quite well, to the yeah and i feel like you'll lose your consistency that way too right exactly uh so when you're looking uh to add in a new doe or buck um how do you know it's time to add in those new genetics do you just is it a I want to shake things up thing? Is it a my herd is really really needs to get improved in this area? Um, what 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 kind of decision making happens for you when you're trying to add in new genetics? Um, so for me, it's more of a shake things up, explore possibilities situation than anything else. At least right now. Um, you start to look at your breeding plans and, or at least I start to look at my breeding plans and go, okay, I, I did this with this dough and I really liked this and I did this with this dough and I liked that too. And I can AI her, but what else is out there? And then, so you kind of look at it that way. Then you start going, okay, I have, you know, this dough is, born is um was out of this buck and then I bred her to my second buck and I don't necessarily know if I want to go back just yet to 
her grandsire. So where are we going to go and needing that to needing another animal to just present a, another option for breeding choices for her. So a lot of it is just, okay, I've done that. What else is out there? But then it is, okay, this doe is part of a three-step plan and I need, I've already done step one and step two, but what is step three in this Mm -hmm. game of breeding. So that's kind of for me. Um, I tend to bring in more bucks than does. I've brought in does in the past. It's been um, several, several, besides my experimental line, um, my Nubians actually all descend from from two half sisters. And I have had other does in the past However, when I was in college and shrinking down the herd for a more manageable number, they, while they were gorgeous does and had a much stronger pedigree than my does had at the time, they, I couldn't quite work with them as a whole, using them in my herd with, they were from the same herd, but they were two different lines in their herd. I didn't know how to breed them correctly. And when I'm shrinking and trying to make it easy and have less numbers, those were two different lines I would have to work with compared to having a herd unit that is closely related and able to, I could bring in a buck and he would work on most of them. So Mm -hmm. I tend to bring it, if I'm bringing in new genetics, it's definitely through more the male side of things. That's not to say that there's not merit in bringing in does, um, probably particularly when you're trying to improve your program drastically, but I think there's almost should always be a purpose in bringing in that doe, whether right. it's the next year or you're going to breed her to some stellar buck and keep a buck, a new herd sire for your herd that's kind of an outcross but still has your herd name or what it is. Um, at least that's my opinion on or that's how I would add new genetics. Yeah. When I, um, when I'm looking at adding genetics, like I, last year I added in, um, a new buck mm-hmm. and Mary Mac, though, right. um, Mary Mac was to freshen my lines, uh, because I've through calling, and it just kind of happened that way because just this line is much better, but I have my gem line. Uh, which all before Mary Mac came, all but one doe was related to Jem one way or another. Right. Um, and then uh, the one doe that wasn't related to Jem uh, passed away. And I have her daughter. So I've got the Jem line, the Carla line, and now Mary Mac. Uh, and Mary Mac is to improve some characteristics, usually, uh, definitely in mammary and overall correctness of body. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my thoughts. I, when, I, when I'm making these de- decisions, yeah, I am pouring over the pedigree and um, seeing what I like and what I don't like. And if I don't like something, I'm not going to buy it. Um, but I also am very, I, I go for, you know, the phenotype, you know, the, the observable characteristics. I, I'm, mm-hmm. That's really how my breeding and my herd works. Because that's just, I like to be able to see 
these body parts and kind of try to glue them together. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but uh, that's what I really go for. Um, so with, with Mary Mac, that was a very phenotype type move. Um, Voskas, my buck, that was a very uh, pedigree driven and memory driven move. Mm-hmm. Um, I really re- relied on his pedigree. I mean, he's a very beautiful buck, but uh, what was behind him was more important to me. And I feel like that goes for any person that's purchasing a buck. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's really, for me, what it comes down to is phenotype and uh, pedigree kind of mixed together, I guess. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think I'm, I probably do something very similar, except that, uh, and I guess I do do something similar, that when I'm selecting the buck, or the potential buck because um, I have brought in older mature bucks, but my most recent buck that I brought in was a kid. I did look towards how that dam looked and how the ancestors looked in that um, phenotype, but it was also a lot of pedigree data that linear appraisal scores and milk records and just different things like that that kind of painted the picture for me. However, then when I am selecting kind of a homebred herd sire or which does to keep, then it's all about the phenotype. And Mm -hmm. so it's definitely more of a mix when I'm bringing something outside and it is based on the limitations of whether or not I've seen these animals in person um, or what have you, but then otherwise it is like, you know, the pictures and pedigree data that I go towards and probably rely a little bit more heavily on the pedigree data to make sure that they're bringing in what I need for my herd versus a picture or two. So when you're looking over the breeding charts, uh, what questions are you asking the breeders? Like, how do you find the right herd that fits your needs? So for me, what I do is I look at my herd and go, what would I like to improve in this generation? And obviously, or maybe not generation, but this breeding year, what do I want these kids to have? Where is my herd lacking as a whole? Because keep in mind, if I have something that already has these traits, I do have access, I know that I have access to different bucks. I have access to bucks in my tank and I have access to um, many different Nubian bucks, particularly in the area. So I kind of look at the general overview of my herd and say, okay, I need, as a herd, I want to improve this. This is my problem this year. This is where the weakness that I need to improve. And then I actually go two herds that I've admired that I see things as a whole that I like. Um, And for me, a big thing right now is making sure that there are milk records and linear appraisal scores on animals um, so that this way I can start to play with um, like PTAs and um, (laughs) what is it? Is it PTIs? Sorry. Yeah. Um, And then ET... What ETA. is it? ETA too. So I kind of, I do look for the milk records and make sure that the milk records do kind of reflect of where I want my herd to be with that. 
Um, and then I send an email or call the breeder and say, hey, oh, so then I look at, figure out which does they have, see the bucks that they're bred to, kind of look and see if I like these combinations and maybe pick two or three animals that at least from a simple, my research perspective that I would be happy with having in the herd. And then I will reach out to the breeder and say, I think I want this, He, but I am looking for this. So if you have any other suggestions, feel free to send them to me because you know your herd better than I know your herd. Um, and if I need this, which, you know, am I going in the right direction in your herd or should I look at, am I missing a first freshener that maybe you don't have pictures up yet or, um, it, or maybe I can't see how this animal really move, it, you know, does on the move. And maybe this trait isn't actually as strong as I want it to. Right. And then kind of start a conversation. And I find that works really well, even on the flip side, when I am selling kids, if you come to me and say, uh, uh, you know, it's totally okay to come to me and say, I just want a nice quality animal. That is fine. We can make that work. Maybe I need another conversation about where your price point is because that'll help me a lot too in terms of where you want to go on my list. If you, on my list of, you know, for what you're reserving within my herd. Right. But um, kind of on the flip side too, it's very helpful as a breeder for me to hear, okay, I am looking for a buck that is going to um, improve my feet and legs and help me with production, just, you know, overall general milk production. Mm -hmm. I can then look at my list and go, okay, this one, this one, and this one are your options. Versus if you just say, I want a buck. Well, congratulations. (laughs) That's great. But what do you need? And It is, you know, if you are starting out, but just want quality, that is totally okay to say, I just need something quality where you are in your herd is going to be, you know, night and day with my herd. But then the conversation will be, okay, that's fine. Look at my does, which one strikes your fancy more. And then we can kind of work from that. But have an idea, ideally having that idea of where you want to go, what you want from this in the ideal world definitely helps both when you are talking to a breeder and then also um, as somebody selling animals too. I definitely think it is helpful. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I also tend to throw uh, a question that I, I have at least at least have not gotten, which is, uh, if I'm looking at a, for a buck kid, um, I've, I've asked, what don't you like about the dam and sire? Or what don't you like about, uh, the lines? And, uh, I tend to get honest answers and that's really what I, what that question is generated for. No, that's um, a, that's a great one to ask. Yeah. I, I just, it, and it's, it's really opens up, at least in my experience, it's opened up a conversation with that breeder because I think it kind of takes them back. Because have you ever been asked that, Danielle? 
No, I, no, I don't think I have that. I mean, yeah, no. I get the, oh, I want a showstopper. And I always say, well, I don't know if I have that here, but this is what I have uh, for, yeah. for my breeding schedule. Um, but uh, I feel like it's really a unique question that not a lot of people ask. And um, maybe, so, I mean, I'm sure there's some people out there that probably wouldn't like to answer that question because um, they're like, they may feel like they're like saying like, well, what are you trying to say about my hurt? Uh, but um, it's really a thought provoking one that really opens up conversation. Um, no, I agree. And it's good to know. And there really is no perfect animal out there. And so if, and even your less than ideal, and I say you're less than ideal because you're less than ideal, maybe the perfect addition to somebody else's herd, but mm-hmm. knowing that, okay, this line tends to be slower maturing and can you wait for them to be four or five to be competitive in the ring? That might be for somebody that might be okay for another person. That might be not something they want to do with their Mm -hmm. herd because their herd is, you know, they only have so many animals and if they're going to take their, they're going to go show, they're going to bring the whole herd and, if this animal isn't necessarily coming together correctly at two, three, four, they have to wait till five. That's not going to work in their herd or they know that they have poor feet and legs and that their animals are more apt to founder than this. You know, are they really going to want something that, Ooh, she looks pretty, but she's going to bring in the same problems and just compound issues that they're trying to improve. So I think that's a great question to ask. And if anybody were to ask that to me, I'd have no problems talking about the strengths and the weaknesses of these animals that I have and what what I'm hoping is going to be presented from them because um, every, at least for me, every breeding, I kind of go, okay, if I'm putting this one and this one together, hopefully this is the top line I'm going to get and this is the rump and maybe mm-hmm. this might be, an, you know, maybe this rump might not be as correct all the way through because I know this line does this or I'm going to really have to watch feet and legs on this one but I like it for this you know I like this breeding for this and that and so you kind of have an idea especially if you've used your animals heavily or you've been using similar lines throughout your breeding program what they're going to turn out and what you want and what you're going to have to work on later I agree 100 percent The other thing that I hear a lot, not necessarily from people asking me, but as you consider animals in different areas of the country is, what do you feed your animals? Yes, I was literally just going there. Okay, go on. (laughs) Yes. And what are, how are you having these animals be competitive? Because what works in one area of the country is definitely not going to work in another area of the country. Mm -hmm. And so are you going to be able to get this expensive showy kid from, like if I were to get something from Texas, would I be able to work with that animal as well? Right. You know, what are are they getting? West coast animals that are being fed that gorgeous alfalfa hay uh, year round because they can, they have it irrigated all year. Uh, are those animals going to do well on the East Coast where they're getting orchard grass and Timothy mix? You know, exactly. um, 
when I'm looking at animals uh, from herds that maybe I've never gotten from before, bought from before, mm-hmm. or uh, herds that uh, I don't see a lot of in my area, uh, I do a little snooping on Facebook and just type in like the herd name mm-hmm. um, and look for the posts that aren't from the herd itself and maybe uh, people from like out of their state and seeing how those animals look compared, um, you know, body condition wise. Uh, you know, again, it's all about that phenotype for me. Um, mm. So if like I see a herd that, uh, yeah, they have gorgeous animals, but then you see that those does and bucks aren't doing uh, pheno- as pho- as phenomenally uh, off farm, then maybe um, it's one of those situations where, okay, they do well on their herd management, but maybe on other types, uh, maybe not. And then that's just kind of a thought behind, you know, thought in the back of your mind when you're thinking about making a uh, reservation for a kid from them. No, exactly. And I've found throughout the years that my animals do best on my management. And I know that sounds kind of, well, yeah, but (laughs) um, you, it just intrinsically, you're selecting animals and animals, I mean, in the basic levels are surviving and then you know hopefully thriving and doing well that are going to work with how you raise animals anyway so you have to find something that'll fit in to your herd and sometimes you have to figure out what your management style is and what those needs are because like you said before they're not going to necessarily match up and so if you are looking at an animal that the breeder is, let's say, worming every week, and don't do that, people. Yeah, seriously, Fomanti, I was going to be like, do Fomanti checks, do fecal exams, parasite resistance, the whole thing. I apologize to my vet, who's probably having a heart attack right now, um, for me <laughs> even suggesting it, but that's not going to work in my barn. I check my famanches, particularly in spring, and we'll keep an eye on does and do fecals when needed, but I don't want to have to pull out the wormer and fight a bunch of worms all the time. So those animals aren't going to work and thrive in my, my program just because I don't want to have to be concerned about worms. I know what I feed and if that animal isn't going to work on my feeding program. And again, like John said, I am in New York too. And we feed um, the field we get our hay off of is was an alfalfa field back in the day and has been overgrown by um, probably orchard grass. And so there's a little alfalfa in there, but you can't reseed the alfalfa in the field. So, and we're working on, doing a new, you know, creating a new field and doing different things like that. But this is the hay I have, and this is what my does are thriving on. And I don't have time when, even though I don't have that many does in my herd, I don't have time to baby a doe along or, you know, a buck along to make it work. So. Yeah. If you're doing like, not the bare minimum, but if you're just doing, you know, you know, the, the good quality feed, but you're not, Oh, this one gets, three tablespoons of chaff hay every other fortnight 
then it's you know if you, if you don't have an animal like that not saying that there's anything wrong with that uh, but if you're if that's not what you do in your program and bringing an outside animal that is uh, uh persnickety with its feed probably not a good idea because it's probably like you said it's probably not going to thrive yeah so no, um, and that, and it, why bring in an animal that might not do as well on your farm when the, your end goal is to have an animal do well on your farm, right? Exactly. So uh, I've often talked about or talked myself out of buying uh, specific animals, asking myself, is this a need purchase or a want? And will this better my program or complicate things? Uh that's something I I really like. You know, I'll see an animal for sale, or I'll see a certain breeding, and I'm like, ooh, that's nice. And I'm like, ooh, this has one reservation available, and I'm like, ooh, and I'm like, first first thought in my brain is, is Tierney gonna kill me? And then uh, the second thought is, do I is this something that's really going to do good in here? Is this like, is this is this something that'll propel me to where I want to go? maybe but also maybe not like this is like it's like bringing in a a new kid into an elementary school and they're probably going to get picked on the first couple days and like do you really want that probably not uh so i i honestly like really like is it a want or is this a need and uh, most of the time it's it's a want and i just don't pull the trigger um yeah, I'm definitely in the same spot. I there's a there's a ton of animals, and not just even in the Nubian breed or in the Sonnens, which you know I'm now dabbling into a little bit with mm-hmm. my experimental line that I see and go, "Ooh, I want that." Yeah. But then you look at numbers and go, "Okay, if I want that." What has who do I have to sell? Who do I have to sell? And granted, yeah. I don't have the tyranny math, you know, driving oh, my sales you're so lucky. probably a little less painless than if I want one, I need to sell three. But yeah. <laughs> I do have a max that I need to kind of stick around. And if I mm-hmm. want to be able to keep kids next year and not have to sell, you know, this dough and this dough, I need to kind of keep myself in check. And so a lot of it is want, and I don't think I've really had, I did have one impulse buy, but I did, it was a buck and he was a little older, but I did need a buck and it worked out really well. But mm-hmm. um, he was not planned addition. He was a, oh, by the way, we have him for sale. Yeah. And I, had oh. just, I had just seen his sister um, at a show and really liked her. And then ooh, he was for sale. So we went and got him, but um but that was more of a need of, huh, I, yeah. I don't have, and it was right around breeding time. And I was starting to put my plans together and realizing that I just wasn't completely excited with what I was breeding animals to. There wasn't enough out, you know, new breedings that I was working with. I had seen what I was breeding and just needed a little bit of something to excite my mm-hmm. breeding plans for myself um, and to make yeah my breeding plans exciting so that worked out and so but that was more of a need than a want but well so i had a big impulse by well i guess trade you can say um where i think i've told the story on the podcast but uh long story short i took a doe to get this budded i had orion who was a junior herd sire then 
um, still have them. Uh, and so I took a dough kid to get this buttered and talking to the, uh, one of my friends, I was at their farm and they had their kids in a pen and I was like, Ooh, that's a really nice looking bucket. Who's, who's he out of? What's the, what's the story with him? And like going through it and I was like, Oh, I'm like, that would be kind of neat. And I'm of course there for more than 10 minutes, unfortunately, uh, where, you know, I'm sitting there talking and the more I'm talking, I'm like, man, you know, you didn't have a lot of dough kids born this year. You want this one? And, and they're like, yeah, I'm like, I'll trade you for that buck. And they're like, okay. So I come home with a buck. Tyranny's furious. She's like, what is this? Um, he was lovely, but it was like, it was a definitely, it's, it's where phenotype kind of kicks you when you're, when you, you're going solely, not solely, but when you're going heavily on that, where yes, this buck kit, kid is gorgeous. Yes, he's a gorgeous buck now. He's doing great things for the herd he's in. Uh, but when I used him the first breeding season, one of his progeny was good. Mm. One. I mean, just judging off how the kids looked, I registered I'm yeah he only has one registered kid with my herd name um and then I quickly sold him because I didn't I just didn't like it that much I mean through white just kind of sloppy looking kids not put together real well I mean his one daughter is is one of my best milkers it's Minerva um mm. but it's just like it just kind of worked out that way he all it, her Minerva's dam is also my best you know, my finished dough gem. So it's like, was it really him or was it her? Uh, so he went down the road. So that was an impulse. Mary Mac was kind of an impulse where uh, I had called dibs on her as soon as she was born. Cause she was just gorgeous mm-hmm. uh, as soon as she was born and um, loved her pedigree still do. And she became available. So we, we brought, we thought it was a smart move and hopefully it is. And yeah. So, I mean, impulse things can work out and sometimes they can't. Um, but really weighing your choices and decisions, um, probably will better your herd in the long run. I mean, if you pull the trigger or not. Right. Well, (laughs) but I also think that regardless of behind what's the reason why behind it whether it's more of a want or a need you still are getting kind of that crapshoot of whether this will really work or not um and that's why breeding animals is so fun because yeah always the well what's going to work what's not going to work how can i improve this and with all the genes that are there and how they mesh i mean there's look at how often you get twin sisters where you can freshen them and mm. go, okay, this one has a gorgeous mammary system. I love the height to this rear otter. I love the capacity, the extension of four otter. And then look at her twin sister and go, where did you come from? Your teats are not properly placed. You're, you have no um, rear otter arch. Your four otter has a pocket. How? We don't even, I don't even know where this pocket came from because if you look <laughs> down the lines you know, you have this, this, and this, and this pedigree, where the heck did it come from? But it's, you know, that's why, that's kind of what makes breeding goats fun. And yeah, 100%. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, and it should be fun, right? These yeah. reservations should be exciting. We're not saying don't make reservations. Oh, we're, no, saying, no, 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 no. we're saying, uh, think carefully and, uh, 
make wise decisions. Um, don't just pull the trigger on anything that's breathing, but um, yeah. it's a fun time of year. Everybody's got these breeding schedules and you're looking over them. You're like, Ooh, I can see what they're doing with this. Like it's, it's like reading an NFL playbook, right? Yeah. You're looking at these, these breeding lineups and you're like, wow. Okay. So this one should do this. And if you, you know, obviously we all fangirl over one herd or more. Oh um, yeah. So, so you're looking at it and you're like, okay, I can see what they're doing there. I can see, I can see what, what the game plan is. Um, I want a reservation on that game plan. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's, it's just a cool time of year. I'm, I'm very happy that I don't have reservations this year. Cause it means that I might be doing something. Okay. Like where I don't need, I don't feel like I need to add anything. Mm. Um, mainly because I have so much new in my herd, you know, I, I have a small herd, so uh, everything's right. still n- new and shiny to me. Yeah, no, <laughs> that, makes, that makes sense. And you, I mean, last year you added Voss, and then the year before mm-hmm. was Orion. There, you know, you're. Oh yeah. It's just this year you can kind of keep and see, and that works. And I mean, and there's not, and definitely with people, there are times where you need something new, regardless of where your herd is, or you right. know. Or even, you know, sometimes you just go, all right, I want it. And I deserve <laughs> it. So, and you do it. Like, you gotta- I deserve this. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I deserve a new go. And then you just have to justify it to all yeah. the powers that be. But, you know. Well, pretty soon you'll be adding in a new uh, Sonnen book, right? I am trying very, very hard to not add any sonnen semen to the tank because I can't quite justify it yet. And I am trying very hard to keep it. So I am not adding in a sonnen buck to the herd. Um, Mm. While it would be fun and probably in a year or two, well, hopefully in a year or two, if my experimental line starts throwing some does, um, I will have a good, you know, several sonnets, but I'm also fortunate, fortunate enough to be in an area where I can go, you know, an hour down the road, two hours down the road and have amazing bucks to use that I do not have to keep. And then, which there's probably going to be several people who scream, and I apologize. Do not. I only mean this. You know, I am not doing it this year. Don't worry. But I also have Nubian bucks, and I have no problem throwing my experimentals in with my Nubians and breeding them that way too, because mm-hmm. I think you know it could work. And so you got to keep even- Swiss to Swiss. If you need to, just bring her over here. We'll breed her to Voss. It'll be fine. <laughs> No, she has, we have plans for her this year, but, um, but I, you know, sometimes if you just, if I have to get them bred, I will just get them bred too and see what happens. But, um, it's one of those things that I, I don't need extra. I don't need another breed in the tank. I mean, as it is, Oh, no, I guess I, well, yeah, no, I don't need another breed in the tank. I don't need another breed in the barn, it's in my buck barn. So as in much as tank. I admire these In the 15 bucks, tanks that you have. 
I only have two. I said it earlier. I only have two. Yes, I am thinking I probably need a third or need to upgrade to a bigger tank. Well, especially but... since I'm storing some over there. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. I do. As soon as I fill, I have to fill up this week and then I'm going to have to do a quick inventory, see what's really in there and all that stuff. <laughs> Got but, some frosty Marvin for you. Anybody need? It? <laughs> yeah. No, I have no. I don't have. I don't have any real hidden gems in the tank right no? now. No. Not that I would tell anybody about. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just there's. I don't have any frosty Marvin in the tank, so I would be too scared to use that one. That would just be. I, I don't. I wouldn't know quite how. He's everywhere in Nubians. It's fine. Yeah, I could. There's, there's a lot of um, buck kids or bucks that are related to him, and mm-hmm. but yeah, it's not like he wasn't used heavily back in the day. So. Oh God, no, no, not He's at all. There's only, there's only, you know, I actually think somebody looked, and there might be no, there might have been. This was several years ago, so I don't even know if they really exist anymore. There might be only two or three registered does out in the United States population of Nubians um, that are not related or not descendants of Frosty Marvin. Um, Somebody who has, who kind of was looking at it and was curious about it and has a little bit more time to start looking at that Agda pedigree and, or Agda genetics traced it back and there was only two or three age does and one herd somewhere in the middle of the country that did not have any frosty marvin in them that's really interesting and from uh from a their concern was from a breed genetic preservation thing that we have you know a population of nubians that are all descendants in one way from I think it was Frosty Marvin or her sire, but that was just the influence and mm-hmm. where it goes. But I think that there's enough. Yes, we all have Frosty Marvin, the pedigrees, but I think there's enough other things going on that I don't think it's a, personally, I don't think we have to worry too much about it, but it is kind of interesting to think that all of the herds in the United States are built on a buck and his sire. Oh yeah. Well that's like um that's like Holsteins uh were all from I can't remember the buck's name now or the, the buck, the bull's name. Um but they were all uh very closely related with a certain bull. Mm-hmm. And and it just you know, that's just kind of the way it was. Um not that it was a bad thing, just like, you know, Frosty is not a bad thing. He was a good buck. He threw beautiful daughters. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Anyway, I love that we just went down that Frosty Marvin rabbit hole. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. I think I remember hearing about that bull, though. And one of my professors at college was talking about it. And because of the way the Holstein industry had bred in the last couple of years with based on this bull and just the different you know what is the genotypes or however they were breeding with um the performance animals and the gene sequencing and things like that there was only a hundred distinct 
animals out there or some baffling mm-hmm. thing with these Holsteins, which there are so many of them around. But when you look at it, there was only a hundred specific individual animals or things, something along those lines. I forget the specifics of it completely because of how they were bred, which yeah. is interesting to think of about. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know like the Oberhasley breed has definitely some bucks that were way more influential than others. Um, and it's as far as uh, every breed, uh, Guernseys are definitely the same way just because of how they, how new they are and how low of the genetic pool there is. Um, so yeah, so I mean, there's going to be a Guernsey buck that you can trace back to every single doe. It's just, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to, it's going to happen. Um, right. But anyway, we, uh, uh, with that rabbit hole. Uh, I know. Are, <laughs> are there any uh, other reservations? Um, any like other uh, points you wanted to hit on with the reservations? No, I think just communication is the key to making mm-hmm. a successful reservation. Um, Keep your goals in mind. And be vocal about your goals because it helps um, make sure it's successful. Because, for instance, I had somebody um, send me an email that they were looking for animals. And one of the questions was, do you have color? And if you were to, which is fine, I have Nubians, there are people who like them in, you know, to be spot, to be spotted or this. And if I have a choice between a brown buck and a black buck and, you know, similar pedigrees, I'm going to choose the black buck. That's my personal preference. So I don't mind the color question, but if you were to come to me and say, I want a spotted buck, well, this year we might be able to do that you are so tore up on that oh my goodness (laughs) no 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 i'm just saying i just can't you know i just can't use that as it's not a great example anymore but (laughs) um, but if you were to come up and say tell me that hey i want i want a brown spotted animal i'd pretty easily be able to tell you that's not going to happen but if you have that conversation with me before you have a reservation down and not just, you know, oh, here's the kid and, oh, it's a brown, solid brown animal with white ears. I was expect- expecting this flashy, you know, goat with patches on the side. Right. I could have told you five months before, ten months before. And that's not happening. That's not how this, this these you know, this, this animal throws color-wise and that's not we're not going to be able to get that. So I have no problem with you coming and saying, Hey, I'm looking for this, but you have to tell me you're looking for it because otherwise I don't know. And you can't read people's minds. Yeah. Unfortunately I've been trying, but it just doesn't work. So, you know, be upfront and honest with what you are looking for. And because ultimately as a breeder, it is better if our animals go somewhere where they have success. And when we're selling an animal, that is what we want. So we want to put you, or at least I personally want to make sure I am providing you an animal that's going to allow you to have success. And if part of your success and what you define your herd is based on, I want 
you know, I want spotted kids. Nubians, it's a thing. Nigerians, it's a thing. Um, yeah. We well, even even if they ask, you know, I need I need something that's got just a wonderful brisket extension. I'm not the guy for you. I'm sorry. So oh, yeah. here's herds that I would look at. Uh, you know, just honest questions will get honest answers, and yeah. and we don't know to answer them if you don't ask. Right. No. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. I agree. Asking those important questions uh, will get you a long ways, and uh, putting in 15 reservations if that's what you want to do, fine. But I personally wouldn't do it because <laughs> you also see a lot of people putting in reservations because they're like, well, this one might not. Like we were talking about you. This one might not throw a dough, so uh, I'm looking for a dough. So I'm going to put a reservation over here, and then all of a sudden it snowballs, and you're getting 15 emails and messages saying, that hey. Say, Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Come pick up your animal in three weeks. And by the way, we need to be paid in 14 days. Yeah. And how are you picking up this animal? And yeah. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> – Try to try to make sure you you're not that person because they don't Everything happen. in moderation. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I think that's a good spot to stop her there. Um, I might be begging you to be on next week, depending on how Nate is feeling. Um, I did get a message during us recording this podcast, uh, which was Nate saying, "I'm alive." So. <laughs> well, I am glad he is alive and doing well mm-hmm. and recovering. So he he did say that I could speak on it uh, further, and uh, just so it, you know, everybody doesn't think that you know Nate's uh, super ill. Uh, he had a hernia surgery, um, repair surgery. Uh, today so that's why he's not here he just got out of recovery and it's alive though that would have been fun if he was on anesthesia to um have recorded like as (laughs) soon as he starts waking up i mean who knows we may have you know the secret miley cyrus hannah montana um, (laughs) singer that comes on but that would have been you missed an opportunity there as far as <laughs> podcast gold. I mean, it was my pleasure to come on, and I'm always happy to come on, but that was an opportunity you missed. Could you I don't imagine think... the conversations you could have? I mean, they probably wouldn't make sense, but I've seen the videos of people waking up, and I, just, I hope Jen's scared. recording something. Me, yeah. Me is uh, an awfully uh... – thoughtful person when he speaks uh where i tend to fly off the the handle a little bit with Mm -hmm. my words um so i feel like nate unhinged and me just always being unhinged uh it could be dangerous could be a dangerous game but Uh, it would be podcast gold we, we might see him on um we have our our club meeting tonight on zoom so maybe maybe he'll be all all doped up on there (laughs) If we do, we'll have to get some like sound uh, clips or something. Yeah, yeah, I'll make sure yeah, I record on. it. <laughs> All right, Daniel. Well, thank you so much for joining me this week. It's oh, always a pleasure. pleasure. We got to make this like a uh, a semi permanent thing. I'm trying. I'm. I think we need to talk Nate into that. We'll have to work it in the contract. Yeah, exactly. That like have him have him open that email. Get back to my lawyers, and we'll see where we can go. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, I'm John. Joined by Danielle Corley this week. 
Uh, this has been Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. We'll catch you on the next one. Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast, is not an affiliate of the American Dairy Goat Association. All opinions or information regarding the ADGA does not represent the registry.